welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Angela, for um, allowing me to stop by and for uh, being able to record a conversation with you. And um, sure. I'll just give a, like a little brief introduction, and then I'll let you kind of fill it out with anything else that you think you should add. So we are at Vision of, Vision of Peace Hermitages in uh, Peevely, Missouri, and you're the director here, and you are also a spiritual um, director for people um, who want that. And I just looked a little bit on the website. So you got training in that from... Alleluia, um, what's the name of the school? The Alleluia School of Spiritual Direction. It's okay. in Augusta, Georgia, and it was an ecumenical community, so mostly a lot of Catholics, but um, definitely I do spiritual direction with all sorts of people. I even talk to atheists and agnostics, Mennonites, you name it, anyone who is seeking God, I can just listen to their story. And really, spiritual direction is... People don't understand what that even is, so they're always like, what is this? Um, It's not counseling. I'm not telling you what to do. Spiritual direction is that I'm a companion on the journey. Um, The things that we we were taught in school was like compassioning. We had a whole book on compassion, like how to really listen to people. Um, We had a whole year where we had to practice listening, and uh, I realized my whole life I've been Catholic and busy, 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 and I do a lot of things, but when you stop doing stuff and you listen to yourself, to others, to God, like there's this whole other world that people can't see all around us. So in spiritual direction, I am, I'm listening to people. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to enlighten the conversation. Like, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging them. I'm praying for them and um, I'm drawing out what they're saying. So, so many times, like, you know, when you have a piece of paper in front of you And if you put it like right up to your eyes, you can't really read what's on that paper. But if you put the paper away from you a little bit, all of a sudden the words are in focus and you can see what's happening. So when I'm talking to someone, usually we're too close to ourselves and we can't really see what we're thinking or saying or like we're all confused about everything. And when you have someone who's listening to you and we're saying like, oh, it sounds like you said this. Well, but you also contradicted yourself there. So what did you mean? So you're asking questions of the person. Well, where did you see God in that? And so people are like, oh, well, yeah, that's what I said. And like, they don't even realize sometimes what they're thinking until you reflect it back to them like a mirror. And, um, and then you're, of course, encouraging them to, um, to see where is God in their life? Where is God moving them? Where is the movement of the Spirit? And so you can do that with anyone. That's why it doesn't have to be just Catholic. And that's why our school was ecumenical. And, um, you know, we don't charge for spiritual direction because we're just um, companions on the journey with someone. Of course, you know, there's not much money here at Vision of Peace or what I'm doing, but people can always give donations. Um, but really, it's, it's more about where is God in your life. That's what spiritual direction is. So you mentioned even atheists, and that kind of got my attention. So, like, would that be an atheist who is uh, seeking God, or...? Well, it depends. Some people are probably a little more agnostic. Usually it's like the one time it was a a girlfriend who dragged her boyfriend here, Mm -hmm. and she was very Christian, and she wanted wanted her boyfriend to talk to someone, talk to a spiritual director. So he came, 
And, uh, you know, I'm not here to change your mind. I'm not here to tell you what to do. Like, you know, spiritual direction, you have the answers inside yourself. You're, you and God are talking. I always like to say my spiritual director is my marriage counselor with God. You know, he's trying to help me figure out what is God saying to my soul. And so for this atheist, I just let him ask his questions and say different things. And I might, I was praying the whole time and just kind of pointing out like, well, you said this, um, that sounds like you're thinking this or something, you know, and then he's like, well, maybe. And so like, you know, he was really angry, but yet, you know, I also pointed out like, well, do you think because your mom did this, that might have affected, you know, like how you're thinking? And then he had to pause and kind of look at things. And so, you know, I, I'm not telling him what to do. I'm not, I'm just receiving what he's saying, reflecting back what he was saying, trying to answer the questions in any way I could. And, um, and really, it's the Holy Spirit that does everything. I always say I'm a fly on the wall around here. And really, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm very prayerful. Every morning I pray for a few hours and I just soak in God and I just be, you know, we're human beings, we're not human doings. So I'm always telling people, sometimes we just have to be. So, you know, I'm not out to change the world. I'm trying to help people to just settle down because, you know, I was in the world for 20 years as a librarian in the hood and it was tough and there's craziness all around. And I used to say, I'm a contemplative in the chaos. I could find that quiet time on the steps or waiting for the copier at the red light. You know, you find ways to find that quiet. Um, so I try to encourage people to find that that quiet throughout the day, like be aware that there's a God in a different universe out there that people don't see. It's like we always just focus on what we can see, but there's so much we can't see that when you kind of pause in your day and say, oh, the person I'm talking to has... God in them. You know, this conversation is a divine appointment. Like, stop thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing and like pay attention to what's in front of me because this is the present moment is divine. And so, just trying to teach people how to slow down, just not necessarily teaching them, but just giving them that awareness that is important and valuable. And when I started to do that, I just felt so much more peaceful with my life when I slowed down. When did you start doing that? Um, when I started Spirit Direction School, so it was uh, about four years, five years ago, I started school in Alleluia School. And like the first year, our whole assignment was to do Lexio Divina, to pray for one hour every day. And that was a lot. Like, you know, I was so busy. Like, I was that typical Catholic who was in every club and every retreat and everything, you know, and I was always doing, doing, doing for God. And uh, I heard God say, you know, do you want to do great things for God, or do you want to be like God? And I realized it's not necessarily I have to do anything big for God, but if you want to be like God, who is God? He is peace. He is calm. He. It's all about surrender. I started surrendering everything because it's my thoughts, my ideas. And I was like, my ideas aren't that great sometimes, most times. But when I let God lead, when I say, God, where do you want me to go? I meet the most amazing people and I pay attention to who I'm talking to. And I go end up at a McDonald's talking to some strange person. You know, like when you let God lead, the world opens up in a whole different way and you get surprises all the time, constant surprises, constant. There was this homeless man that I really miss from the library 
who came in all the time, and we would have these deep discussions about God, and he lived in his car, and he always talked about synchronicity, synchronicity. And I never quite understood, but he would come in, and he'd kind of feel the room out, and he'd be like, oh, it's negative energy in here today. Oh, there's positive energy. And at the time, I, I didn't quite understand that, but as I've been prayerful and reflective, and, you know, he lives a very simple life in his car. He prays a lot. And I realized there is a sense of like, he and he picked it up, and then I would pick it up, and then I would pick it up before he picked it up. And I'd be like, yeah, today, everything bad is happening. And so he'd come in and be like, nope, can't come in. And then there'd be days where I had like these God moments all morning, and he'd come in and he'd be like, oh, man, what's going on? Where's God today? And I'd be like, he's everywhere today. And so we had these great conversations, and he would talk about synchronicity, you know, how when God is present, everything lines up. It's like, you know, when you're praying about something, that phrase that touches your soul will just pop out in every conversation, every person you talk to, and you're just like, wow, that is really what God is saying, because there's this, um, you know, the, the evil one is chaos, but God is order and synchronicity. And so when I see things falling into place, and usually a good way to get things to fall into place is to surrender. <laughs> so when I learned to just be, to listen, to surrender, then everything would just flow. Like this river out here, we have this Mississippi River out the window, and it reminds me all the time that I have to just flow in the Spirit because God leads, I just follow. I can, um, as far as like that slowing down, like um, I can see the importance of it. Um, like right now, um, just yesterday I was prescribed... Um, some kind of medicine, PPI, you know, for the stomach because of stomach acid because it's affecting my throat. Mm. And that probably, um, stress is probably a lar large part of like why I've kind of gotten to this point because um, my diet food is really good, you mm. know. Um, and I, so I know the importance, um, but it's like the hardest, um, thing, you know, as far as like, there's good intentions, but it's like the hardest type of discipline just to, um, you know, slow down. And <laughs> seems like it could be easier here. It's a very quiet, peaceful place. And it's very nice here. But um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about um, about that? You know, is it yes. a discipline? Or? Well, you have to be very intentional um, about living. Um, a lot of times people, like, you want to do something, but are you intentional about changing it? And what kind of things are you doing to change what's not working in your life? And that's what spiritual direction is about, too. We're accountability partners. We, we, we say, okay, what? so you're feeling stressed. What can you do to not be so stressed? You know, and for me, I always like that movie, you know, um, where he says, baby steps, you got to do baby steps. And so yeah. I, you know, I know myself, like, I'm not going to be able to do some big thing. It's going to have to be something small, like, okay, take two minutes of silence. Can you do two minutes of silence every day? And like, you'd think, oh, well, I could do that, sure. But even that is challenging for people. And so um, what was your question again? <laughs> um, just how, um, if you had any thoughts about like, um, the dis, you know, dis, uh, discipline is that what's required. Like it's, uh, my experience has been it's really hard to change. Um, to change. Yes, like there can be good something. intentions, but um, yes, and that's why the accountability partner that finding, um, like, being intentional about okay, I need to change something because I don't like the way I'm living. You know, and how can I change something? 
um, and then putting together like a plan. Um, and like, I'm really a sporadic person and I don't like to plan and I don't like to be organized and disciplined, but I'm realizing over and over that I need to have some kind of discipline. Um, especially if I, if I need something to change, I'm going to have to change something I'm doing in order to change something. And so whether it's starting out small, um, just trying to find that peace. Um, and again, like the world and, and I was so busy and I always say busy is being under Satan's yoke, B U S Y being under Satan's yoke. And the world is full of busyness and we and Western culture, like we feel like we have to accomplish things. People are like, Oh, look at all the good things you're doing. But like God didn't create us to be busy. Like God created us to be with him. Like I always like to think back to the garden of Eden and like, who are we meant to be? Before sin, we were just meant to wander naked with God in the garden having beautiful conversations. Like, that's who we were supposed to be. And we messed up. <laughs> so how can we go back to wandering in the garden with God? Like, can we take two minutes? Can we take 30 minutes? And once we just wander with God, once we just are present and united to God, it's like all the other stuff. Like, it's discerning the spirits. It's like, there's a lot of good things. And the devil wants to tell you, do this, do this, do this, do this. And they're all good things. But if we're really united with God, we say, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? Show me what to do. Show me what to let go of. And these are good things. Like, there's people that come here, and I really want to help them. But I have to remember, I'm not God. Like, God's going to take care of them. Maybe today's not a good day that I should I should not. And I'm bad at this. I'm like, I always, spiritual direction Directors always preach what they need to learn themselves. <laughs> so, like, I have all these people who want help, and it's so hard for me to say, I'm really stressed today, I can't help you, because it's a good thing to help someone. But it's those boundaries. It's like knowing when to say yes, when to say no. And that only comes from a, a, an intense life of prayer, where you're really united with God, and you're really discerning every moment, every conversation, everything you're doing, and you're saying, okay, God, where do you want me to be? And what do you want me to say no to? And how can I let go of it? Because we need a balance. We need to have a peace. And if we don't have a peace, then something's wrong. And we need to change something. What is um, prayer like for you? Or what's your prayer habits or disciplines? Like, what are you actually doing when you're, mm -hmm. you know, praying? Well, every morning I wake up and I just do praise and worship to God. And I thank Him for everything. And I do, um, in Catholic circles, we have Liturgy of the Hours. So I'll do morning prayer on my iBrewery app and just kind of glorying God, just giving him my day. I do a morning offering, you know, any different way since I'm pretty sporadic. I don't really have a set structure, but there's always something. And it's usually like 30 minutes of free flowing. I'll do um, litany of the saints prayers. I do um, protection prayers. Um, always have to do a protection prayer every morning to just say, Lord, just... Keep me under the mantle of Mary and all the angels and saints and the blood of Jesus to pour over me, protect me from anything that's not of God. You know, we always have to take the offense. You know, if you wake up and you just let things happen, you never know what's going to happen. But if you like put on the armor of God in Ephesians and you say, okay, I'm going out to battle because we are the world. It's, it's a battle. And um, because of sin, it's like God wanted us to have this covenant with him and that we're his beloved, his children. But the evil one wants us to have, 
to go to his side. And so every day we're in that battle and we have to realize, okay, I'm going to choose the good. I'm going to choose the good. And even sometimes the, the devil's very cunning and he's going to make the, he's going to make things that look good. You know, he's going to show you all this good stuff and you're going to have to really be focused on Jesus and like, okay, Jesus, what do you think is good? Cause he's very cunning <laughs> and he's always going to divide you and discourage you. And there's all these different D's of the devil, they say. And when you start to realize you're doing, you're falling into something like distraction, you're like, okay, that's not from God. So you just have to be discerning of the spirit and where the movement of the spirit is to try to go back toward God throughout the day, back focusing on, on the good and the light and what God is asking of us. But it's a battle. It's work. Um, can I ask you a little bit about your growing up, or can you just tell us a little bit about what your growing up experience was like? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was cradle Catholic, uh, born on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. So we were pretty poor. We were on food stamps. Uh, my dad and mom met in the Navy, and uh, I had... A handicapped sister who's severely mentally and physically handicapped. She's my oldest sister. And then I have another sister who's now a poor Claire. Uh, she's a cloistered nun, and she's been there 25 years. And then me and then my younger brother is seven and a half years younger than me. And um, he's married and likes to bike ride, um, doesn't really go to church or anything, um, but a, a really good guy. Um, so that's like... And my mom and dad are still married, uh, I don't know, 45 years or whatever it's been. Um, they're both third order Franciscans and they're both super Catholic and do a lot of ministry in the church. So I definitely know where I com- came from whenever I talk to them. I'm like, oh, they're really, really busy with all these different activities for the church. And so I'm now trying to tell them like, okay, guys, we're doing a lot of great things. Like these are good, worthwhile things. But if we don't feel peace, maybe we need to say no to something, you know, maybe we need to just be that's, you know, they they just moved here from Fulton, Missouri, two hours away, um, maybe six weeks ago, two months ago, they moved here um, to help me at Vision and Peace, because this job is not for one person. <laughs> and we don't really have funds to, you know, hire more people. I've been trying to talk to the board about hiring people. So we're working on it. Um, but with my parents here, it's really helping me to not have to work 24-7. So I get like some nights off, and um, they can come and help when we get really busy. Um, but my family, you know, we've always been really Catholic. We, um, My mom always had us wake up at 5.30 in the morning, every morning, to have morning prayer time. And uh, we had a, an interesting blend with my mom and dad, because my dad was more of a conservative Catholic. Uh, he was in the seminary. He liked Liturgy of the Hours. And my mom was more charismatic. And so she was involved in ecumenical ministries and um, the charismatic movement. And so the blend of the two of them together kind of shaped my spirituality. So I love Latin masses and I like liturgy of the hours. I love the structure and the history of the church, but I also like to raise my hands in prayer and dance and like get excited about the Holy Spirit moving around. So it's kind of, I was really blessed to have them and, and their importance on prayer. They always taught about prayer and even um, growing up, when we were all like, you know, under 10 years old and we would get together at 530 in the morning and my mom, we'd read the scriptures for the day for the um, the mass. And then my mom always had us do two minutes of silence. So that's where I got my two minutes of silence. 
So even as like six-year-old, seven-year-old, my sister and I would be sitting there and she's, we'd read the scriptures and then we would, um, she would say, okay, let's, we're going to take two minutes and ask God, what does he want to say to you? So we'd probably fall back asleep since it's 5.30 in the morning. And then she'd be like, okay, what did God say? And like, of course, my sister, who's now a poor Claire, would say, Jesus loves me. And my mom would be like, great, yeah, that's probably what Jesus said. And then I would always come up with a song. Like, you know, in the two minutes, I'd think of like, Jesus is my friend or something, you know, like related to God. That was a song or maybe a scripture or maybe like, you are my beloved or whatever it was. And she's like, oh, good, that's what God said to you. And so she kind of encouraged us at a very young age to talk to God and to listen to God. And so I think it just carried on with my sister in the convent and with all the things that I do, that I'm always listening to God. And she just kind of instilled that in us at a very young age. Okay. So um, so it sounds like you didn't have a conversion experience of like Christianity, uh, you know, just opening up to you or something like that. But like from as early as your earliest memories, mm-hmm. you were pretty into... Um, seeking God, yeah. Yeah, your faith and so well, forth. Definitely in college. Everyone in college goes through that time where you have to question everything. And mm-hmm. uh, I had a really traumatic college life because <laughs> uh, my mom had us very sheltered. And I went to this small Catholic college thinking that it would be this little utopian place. But when I got there, I was hit by the world and not really prepared. So we had co-ed dorms, and it was a very liberal college, and I didn't understand any of that. Um, so, And I took like a world religion course, so I was like looking at all these religions and saying, well, these could be good, like what's to say the Catholics are the right ones? I like this Islamic, I dated Mohammed, and he was Islamic, and I liked what he was saying, and he had a beautiful heart and soul, and he was doing good things, and so I definitely questioned a lot of things. Um, but I also... Uh, was really lost because I hadn't experienced the world. My mom didn't let us date anybody. You know, we didn't have any kind of sex ed. She took us out of sex ed. We couldn't even go to school on Halloween because, oh, that's the feast of evil, you know. And so I wasn't really exposed. And then I get to college at 18 and it all hit me and I didn't know what to do with it all. So it was very traumatic for me. Um, Mostly it was, um, you know, your hormones and stuff. And so... And I was like the little religious girl who was like all innocent. And so a lot of like seniors were like, oh, let's get that freshman. And like, they're very manipulative and all about sex and stuff like that. And so I didn't know anything. I'm like, oh, come to church with me. So like, I'll go to church with you if you make out with me afterward, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, but you're going to church. And then, you know, like at 18, it's, it's a tough age, 19, 20. So anyway, um, I really struggled for many years. Um, I had to drop out of college. I actually had to go to a lot of psych wards because my mind just didn't know how to function with all these new thoughts. And I didn't have support, really. I went away to college. You know, my parents were away. And at the time, too, my sister had joined the convent, so she wasn't around. My dad had cancer. Um, I had a sister with special needs uh, who's, you know, handicapped. So my mom, her whole life, was serving my sister, and it was um, emotionally exhausting. And so I was kind of out on my own. <laughs> and um, so it was a really dark time. And, uh, I mean, it was probably at least 10 years of dark time where I still believed in God, 
and I, I knew God was around. I just didn't think he was helping me. <laughs> and I think too, with, uh, I was like really suicidal and I just kept thinking, I want to go to heaven. That's all. I just, I was like obsessed with going to heaven because who wants to be in this world? It's so hard and nothing is perfect. You know, I was a perfectionist. I say I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I wanted things to be good. I wanted people to be good. I wanted people to do the right thing and they don't. The world is broken and a mess. And the more I tried to like wish that people would do the right thing, the more they wouldn't. And it was just a very discouraging time in my life. And I just wanted to go to heaven so I could be free of like crazy world. But, um, you know, I gradually got out of that frame of mind and um, decided that I was, you know, jumped into, you know, prayer meetings and, um, you know, joined a Curcio group and um, was at the Catholic Renewal Center where I did a lot of healing and deliverance prayer. And that's what really helped me, the healing and deliverance prayer at the Renewal Center. Um, they have people trained in... Um, the spiritual realm and the life. And I didn't realize a lot of what I was going through. I was kind of entertaining evil spirits and that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> Don't listen to those lies of the evil one that are telling you you're not worth it. You're alone. You should kill yourself. Like that's not the voice of God. And, and you have to really pray to get deliverance of those kind of spirits that are attacking you. And so the renewal center really saved my life. And whenever I go there, I hear the same story over and over. Everyone who goes there, I can't believe it. You know, when we pray deliverance for someone to get rid of that um, thought, that pattern, people who have been abused and like they're just lost and you get prayer to find where is Jesus in that traumatic experience. You bring Jesus into the trauma and realize he was there. Like the world is a mess. Evil exists People do the wrong thing, but it's not because Jesus doesn't love you, and it's not because Jesus was gone. Jesus was holding your hand in that moment of trauma, and he was saying, I'm sorry, I wish this wasn't happening, you know, but I'm going to give you the strength to overcome it. And so knowing that with my heart of hearts that God is always with me, that's what gives me the strength to do all the crazy things that happen to me, <laughs> because I know, but I know what I know what I know that God is always going to be faithful and He's going to be with me, and He's, you know, He's not going to prevent bad things from happening because we're in a broken world. But He's going to give me the strength to get through it. He's going to hold my hand. He's going to provide a way out when I think it's like the worst and I think there's no way out. He always provides a way out. He doesn't give you more than you can handle, and I just really believe that. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been reading the Psalms, um, lately and see today was Psalms. I was kind of going by the calendar, Psalms 36, I think. And, um, one of the things, but it was a little bit discouraging this morning, um, because, um, the Psalmists, you know, they are, um, going through a difficult time, but they're expressing confidence that God's going to deliver them and he's, um, not going to let them go down, down to Sheol, or just, mm -hmm. you know, things. Uh, he's not going to let their enemies get the best of them. But then, um, but I don't have confidence that, you know, the bad things won't happen to someone who's trusting in God, you know. Oh, yeah, you're going to have even more bad things happen. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I feel like the people who are the holiest get the worst things that happen to them because they have the strength to be able to do it. 
like at the library and I have proof of this, like it shows. Okay. So like some of the librarians I knew, you know, they didn't really have a relationship with God necessarily. Um, they were good people, but, um, nothing really bad ever happened to them. Like, you know, they just kind of rolled through life and it was okay. But the people who are faithful, like, you know, people who are praying, it's like they would get the hardest patrons in the hardest situations. And so, like, the one year I had, like, 12 incidences I had to write up with different people and, like, the police and all this stuff. And then I was talking to my one coworker. I'm like, have you ever had to do this? She had never done one. And I'm like, I've done 12 and you've done none. But it's because God knew I was going to be able to step up. Like, he gave me the strength to deal with a person who's homeless or on drugs or something. You know, like, God was working through me in those situations. But she, you know, like, didn't have those capabilities. She wasn't willing to even step up and try. You know, like, and so, like, in that aspect, you know, bad things always happen to me. Like, and I expect them. (laughs) I expect challenges. But I know God is going to work through me. And so... I'm not afraid of the challenges. I mean, I don't like them. I complain sometimes, a lot. <laughs> but I know suffering's going to happen. I know it's going to be hard. And I just trust that God's going to help me through it. Um, something that's um, a big part of, I go to a Protestant church, and something that's a big um, you know, emphasis is that... Um, Jesus died for um, sinners to pay the price for their sin, like a sacrificial atonement, and then was resurrected. And that that's our um, confidence um, in like our standing before him, like um, being accepted by him, that there, a price has been paid, my guilt has been taken away, and you know, I'm, I'm, um, there's no longer sin between me and God, you know, justified. Um, and then um, that would be like um, the thing that, um, well, the working of the Holy Spirit, but but also that good news kind of would give a, you know, gives a freeing type of mm-hmm. thing because um, guilt kind of drags a person down where mm-hmm. this is kind of like a, is that something a part of like um, the Catholic faith that you're um um, familiar with, and um, is it kind of like the same type of thing, or is mm-hmm. it um, different, or what are your thoughts or about like salvation? Yeah, so um, the Catholic Church definitely focuses on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Jesus is, um, you know, human beings need a visual. Um, you know, God had to send a human being to the earth to get through to us. <laughs> so, um, you know, we really value the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and we definitely focus on Jesus and the Bible because the words of Jesus, um, Jesus always points us to God. Jesus always points us to God. He was, he, he was God, you know. So, um, and the whole reason he came is to save us from all that sin. And so, um, especially in spiritual direction, Catholic faith and a lot of faiths, that guilt and shame is, uh, the evil one, like, you know, getting into your head. And really, that's like the root of so much of spiritual direction is that we listen to that guilt and shame. We think, oh, we're not good enough. We're not good enough. We're doing this. We're doing this. Because we are. We're broken. We're, we are messing up. And so, uh, Catholic Church teaches, you know, Jesus saved us. Like, 
not only did he save us, like he loved us so much. God loved us so much. I like to look at this beautiful picture of the Trinity. I think it's behind us. Um, that Catholics really value that Trinity. And I'm kind of a, a strange, like eclectic person. And so I put stories and images and thoughts into pictures that maybe aren't there. So this is just my philosophy. I wouldn't go by this. This is a Catholic thing. But when I see the Trinity, I think about how much God loved us. Because basically, God the Father and Jesus loved one another so much, their love is the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, so this Trinity is all three persons of the Trinity. Um, and they're up in heaven, and, and they like are looking down at us making a mess. And they're like, I always think they had like straws, like, you know, two long ones and a short straw. And they're like, okay, who's going to go down and fix this mess? <laughs> and I always feel like Jesus picked the short straw. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'll go into that mess and try to fix this, you know, because they, they really need help. <laughs> and so, you know, God sent his only son. He's like, they were in utopia. They were happy and in bliss, but they, you know, they created us. God created us and he loved us so much. And he's like, I got to fix this. <laughs> so I always think like Jesus came down to be like, hey guys, wake up. You think it's all about fire and brimstone and hell and shame and guilt and, and these rules that you set up. And God, you know, Jesus came to say, hey, that's not who God is. God is love. God wants to give you healing and prophetic words, and he wants to hold your hand. Like, he wants to be with you. And so, um, you know, the Catholic Church does teach a lot about how Jesus came to save us. Um, and he's like, and then he even died. He's like, you know, I don't want you to be in torment. I don't want you to have to worry about when you die, you're going to go to hell, you know, like in torment. Because if you believe in Jesus, if you know that Jesus took your sin and you're trying with all your heart to, to do good, you know, there's this chance of redemption. We don't have to live in guilt and shame, I guess. And the Catholic faith, we have this beautiful tradition of confession. And it's so, and, and it's so strange too, because I work with a lot of Protestants and I'll do healing and deliverance with Protestants. And it's like, they just need to confess. Like all, like sometimes people say I'm their confessor <laughs> in spiritual direction because we need to bring out that stuff in the dark, bring it to the light and say, Hey, this is what I did. And I feel horrible. And then we realize Jesus saved us. Like we are a mess. Yes, we're going to mess up and we're going to mess up again and again and again. But we always go back to Jesus and we realize he took the sin. Like we have the stations of the cross around here. And um, all these Protestants will do our stations of the cross. And like, they're all like, what is this? You know, and I'm like, well, it's, it's a, basically you're walking with Jesus, the way of the cross. And some of them, like the one the other day, she was saying, you know, he was stripped of his garments. And you're reflecting on the fact that Jesus was naked. And we could think of ourselves with our shame and our guilt. And we can like be naked before God and just be stripped of all of our bad stuff. Like Jesus, he stripped for us. You know, he took it. He had all of that, that shame and, you know, like who wants, like he took it. I don't have to cling to my shamefulness, you know, that Jesus did it. And so it's just, there's a freedom to life when you believe that there's a God, when you believe that there's a God who loves us. So it just, it makes life worth living. It gives us purpose. It gives us joy. So so I've seen stations of the cross around like a Catholic church. And mm -hmm. so are they, um, 
and it looks like there are pictures of um, like Jesus's, um, well, I guess his, um, the gospel passion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess part of some of the pictures are like his baptism ministry before then. Is that right? Or it starts with um, like he was in the like um, condemned to death. Okay, so, so that's where it's, it starts. It's really like he's before Pilate. Okay. Um, and then he takes his cross and then he sees his mom and he sees the weeping willow or wi- women, weeping women. And so it's like you're following him on the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross. And so when people do the stations, we have all these little books that they can reflect on. You kind of you unite yourself to that story. You're with Jesus. You're thinking about what was my cross? Like you know, because God, you know, Jesus took our cross. So sometimes we can give him like that child who has cancer. And we're going to say, okay, Jesus, you have this cross. I'm going to give you this child with cancer. I'm going to walk with you. Or you walk with your cross of, of the difficulty and you see Jesus walking with all of our difficulties. It's like this union, this journey with Jesus, why he did what he did, how he he understands us. He gets it. You know, when he sees his mom and you think of your mom and how much she loves you and how she's heartbroken when you mess up, you know, like reflecting on that. Um, my One of my favorites is Simon of Cyrene helps carry the cross. And you can reflect on that for hours and years and write books probably on it. <laughs> because sometimes am I Simon of Cyrene? Am I helping someone carry their cross? Or do I need a Simon of Cyrene? Or... You know, what does that mean to you? So it's just a reflective way to pray is what the stations are. Hmm. Um, what's the most significant thing that has happened to you lately? What's going on in your life right now? Well, I'm here at Vision of Peace, which uh, it's been about 15 months, I guess. For 20 years of my life, I was a librarian, mm-hmm. and that's what I knew, and I uh, I loved it. I loved working with people. So now my whole life has changed. You know, they say you have midlife crises or something, so I'm realizing now when you hit 40, it's like everybody's like, what am I really doing with my life? And uh, so right now, I'm uh, in a time of, of real transition and change and looking at life differently. It's, I've pretty much stripped myself away of everything I've ever had. Like God has systematically stripped everything from me. <laughs> so I sold my condo and I, my car was hit, you know, I even lost like this ring I liked and this cross I had and somebody was allergic to cats. So I had to get rid of my cat, you know, like you know, I have, I'm learning to live really simply here. And then, of course, the isolation of being a hermit. Um, it, it's kind of funny, though, because I'm a 100% extrovert. And I always end up in these jobs as a librarian or a hermit <laughs> where you're like, you realize being an extrovert is good. You can entertain yourself. But um, I love people. And it's weird because as I was praying this morning, I kept pondering on how when I go into a room full, like I went to this um, pro-life convention or like a benefit and, you know, I go into this room and I see all these people and my energy, I just feel energized by all these people. And I could almost see everyone had a guardian angel. You could almost just sense 
the room full filled with angels filled with God because all of them have the Holy Spirit in them they all have a piece of God with them and so you're like oh God is everywhere in this room and then this morning I was praying and looking out at the same view I look out for 15 months now and I think where's God here <laughs> like I want people like being solitary being alone here a lot but yet being so busy having so much to do but missing that the people missing like sometimes you just want to get out of here and like go to a walmart and be like oh look at all the people i feel god everywhere thank you god he's here but like but i feel like god has brought me out to the desert you know like and i feel like it could be because of some kind of ministry he's gonna have me go toward and so like jesus went out to the desert before he did his public ministry and he had to face the temptations and and in the silence you can face face yourself and I thought I'd already worked through a lot of stuff. I had done all that therapy, counseling, psych words, spiritual direction, healing, deliverance, ministry. I really thought I was in a good place in my head. I knew who I was. I knew what was happening. And then I got here just, <laughs> I mean, the story of how I got here is only God. And because I said yes, I was really involved in um, thinking about Mary. Catholics believe that uh, Mary is like our mother. She's an interceder for us. Um, she's not God. Like every time I would work where I worked in the library, everyone around me was Protestant. And I had this devotion to Mary. And they were always like, Mary, Mary, Mary. And I'm like, you guys don't understand Mary. <laughs> so I'm not worshiping Mary. I don't think Mary, Mary is like a mother. Don't you go to your mom and ask your mom for prayer? Don't you go to your mom to have her like give you a hug? You know, like Mary is like, this mother to me and Mary brings me to Jesus. Like every time I go to Mary, she'll be like, Oh, I'll go ask Jesus for you. Like at the wedding of Cana, you know, like Jesus wasn't really planning on doing any miracles, but he listened to his mom, didn't he? <laughs> so she can bring our prayers to Jesus. And so, um, I got here cause I had, I was really thinking about Mary and I was trying to be like Mary and Mary always said, yes, she was docile. She was humble. She said, whatever you um, whatever you want, and the fiat, her fiat was when the angel came and asked her to do this great thing for God, you know, carry him. <laughs> she said, whatever your will is. And so I was praying that with all my heart for like a year at the library. And I wasn't expecting to come here whatsoever. Like this was not even on my radar <laughs> to be a retreat director. Like, what do I know about that? Um, I was actually going to be a missionary. I looked at FMC missionaries. Um, I had gone to school with them for spiritual direction. I went down to Louisiana and visited with them. And I've always wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to go to Africa, um, tell people how much God loves them. And um, that's kind of where my mind was. And I was realizing that I could sell my condo. And um, I've always had the generous single life vocation. I always knew I loved being single. I knew that I was a bride of Christ. And I didn't, I don't have any desire to get married. And like, people don't understand that at all. And, but I'm realizing there are so many people with a generous single life vocation, and they don't realize that that's a vocation. They don't realize that's what they're doing. And they think, oh, I'm supposed to be getting married, or I'm supposed to be doing a religious life. And I'm like, you're right where you're supposed to be. Like, I live the generous single life vocation. And it's amazing and rewarding. And when you realize that my life is for God, wherever God wants me, he's the spouse, he's the one who's guiding me. You know, he's my partner in life. And what kind of better partner can you have? <laughs> he sends me the craziest places, like here. <laughs> so I say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And this opens up, and there's no one to take this job. 
because you doesn't pay much. It's very demanding. You have to know a lot of things. Like you have to wear a thousand bazillion hats. And I knew it was going to be hard and I didn't really want to, but I was praying and I was docile. And I said, whatever you want, God, whatever you want, you know, unite my heart to your heart. And I mean, this all fell together so quickly. I blinked and I was here. I literally blinked like two weeks and I had sold my condo in two hours. All these miracles happened. Everything just fit together. I even uh, fell off my bike. I love mountain biking and was in the emergency room and all these people helped me move here. (laughs) So it was all like a whirlwind of you're supposed to be here. So um, right now in my life, I'm trying to kind of figure out what I'm doing here. <laughs> I mean, I definitely need to help run this place. It needed a lot of help. So I had to get the books in order. I had to see what we needed to do to fix some things that need to be fixed. And it's a very demanding job because, again, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I like to think in Isaiah, God says he calls us like flies in the steep, in the crevices. So we're on the bluffs here of the Mississippi, and I'm just a fly in the crevices. And God called me to be this fly, you know, come out and get out of his way. Like, you know, he picks people who don't know what we're doing so that God can do it. (laughs) And then we can glorify God because it's like, well, I didn't know what I was doing, but look at this miracle and look at this miracle. Look how this worked. But it's all about surrender. So like, I think I'm going to get this website up and then I have to let it go. I have to let it go and God will provide someone to put this together for me, you know, like, cause you know, I work and work and work and it's not getting anywhere. And so I have to trust in the providence. And he does every time I think there's no way I'm going to be able to do something. A donor comes through a person who knows about finances comes through, you know, my parents move here to help me. So right when I'm at the end, right when I'm suffering and I think there's no way, God always provides. And so you're like, I guess I'm still here. So I'm still in this kind of battle this year of like getting used to silence, getting used to um, getting prepared. I feel like he's preparing me for something (laughs) in this desert, like looking at the movement of the spirit, um, really discerning um, all these people that come and listening to where is the synchronicity? What is everyone saying? What does the world really need right now? Kind of putting the pieces together, and I'm seeing definite patterns and what I think God is calling me to do. And a lot of it is trying to call people to be, to let go of the busyness. I was super busy my whole life. And how important it is to just slow down and say no to things. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so maybe that's what I'm supposed to be called to be my mission in life. Um, and then listening to people, maybe God is calling me to, to just encourage people who come here, you know, like, I don't really know where I'm going after this. I definitely don't think I'm going to be here very much longer because it's so exhausting and tiring to wear so many hats and see people who come here are usually hurting a lot. And so I have to, every night before I go to bed, I have to put everybody back to Jesus. I'm like, okay, Jesus, these are your people. These, you have a relationship with them. You're taking care of them. I'm letting them go because there's way too much sadness. There's so many hardships. I can only be Simon of Cyrene for a little while. And then you take your crosses back, people, because <laughs> it's, it's very hard here to listen to such sad stories. But 
there's also miracles here because I see God reach into them. No matter if they're the atheist, the Mennonite, the Protestant, the Catholic, God does the same thing to every single person who comes here. First of all, God woos them. And it's like, I see the same thing, no matter who they, it's on their minds, kind of on their heart. They're like, what is this place? Most everyone who comes here only comes once. They just kind of, it's an anomaly, kind of like these hobbit holes, you know, like, what is a hermitage? It's underneath the ground. It's this little cabin in the woods. It has these beautiful views. But what is this? And it's like, no, God is wooing you because he wants you alone with him. He wants to have this honeymoon time with you. He wants to just love you. He just wants to hold you. My homework assignment for everybody is gaze on God in love and let him gaze on you in love. That's it. Just be in that love. Like get in the communion of who you are, like in the Garden of Eden before we sinned. Who were we? You know, he loved us. We loved him. There was freedom. So I see the same pattern. People are wooed here. Holy Spirit puts it on their heart. They have a battle getting here. Almost everyone's like, something bad happened, something bad happened, something bad happened. And you're like, well, that means it's going to be an awesome couple days that you're here because it was so hard to get here. (laughs) And then when they finally make it and they come into Christ's heart and they feel that love and they're refreshed, they're renewed, they have visions of peace, you know, and they're like, oh, thank you, thank you for this place, thank you for this peace, I just needed to recenter myself And they go away ready for the mission field ahead of them, you know, filled with new graces. And so, you know, even though it's a hard job, it's the most rewarding job I've ever done because I see God working in them. I haven't done anything. Like, I keep the door open (laughs) and I get out of the way of the Holy Spirit. But really, it's between them and God. And I'm not really any part of any of this. I just watch how God loves each person. He's like in love with every person, no matter if they were like, you know, these um, people who have different opinions of me, you know, like some of these churches that you're like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Like, you know, they might not be what I necessarily agree with, but God loves them so much, just like he loves me so much. And I think, wow, it doesn't matter what kind of things they're doing. God is in love with them. (laughs) And to see that over and over and over again and be like, wow, it's really powerful. You know, this is kind of jumping around a little bit, but like, you know, you're after that kind of dark period of time when, you know, you, you were younger and then you went through that healing and deliverance type of thing. Like, what was that? How long were you there and what was it like uh, and, you know, and how did it help you? Yeah, no. Um, it's funny because I used to always think about that time in my life. You know, it was very front and center because I pretty much was obsessed with suicide. And I remember as like a five-year-old listening to a song about heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And so in my head, I thought heaven is a wonderful place. And I always wanted to go there. That was the song. And it was funny because I actually heard that song at like a Protestant vacation Bible school because my mom was ecumenical. So we went to the Baptist vacation Bible school and the Methodist vacation Bible school, you know, like every single vacation Bible school of any parish around Maryland where we lived there near Durwood and Gaithersburg we would be at those vacation Bible schools. So I had this weird idea of death being this beautiful place. And so I was obsessed with suicide and um, just wanting to die. And then like when you're sad, imagining ways to die. And I, it was, it was very rooted, very much in my soul wanting to die. 
which is strange because like outwardly, I was doing these retreats and talking about God and going to church and everyone thought I was like this holy person. In fact, that's what people used to always say. She's that holy person. But inside, I had this, this fantasy about death. And um, so I lived with that. And then when life was hard, I, I kind of, I kind of like talked to evil. You know, I, I had this relationship with these evil spirits and these thoughts and kind of like they comforted me. It was like this obsession um, with thinking about the dark side. And, um, but it was comforting. It's kind of like an addiction. Like people who I, who I talk to who are addicted to something and everyone's addicted to something. If it's food, alcohol, obsessive thoughts of something, there's always something that we kind of cling to in our brains. And it's always something that's the thing though about addiction is that we're we're um, comfortable with it. It makes us special and unique. We kind of like this, even though it's not a good thing. So I liked being suicidal. I thought it made me special. Like I thought this was I don't know. It, it was comforting to be in the darkness. I liked being in the darkness because it's all I knew. I liked darkness, and um, it took a lot for me to even. I, I used to. To get out of that situation, I had to like pray for the willingness, for the willingness, to the willingness to want to not think about death. <laughs> so then I had to take away each willing. <laughs> okay, I'm willing to be willing to want to think about death. And then when I finally came to the point where I was like, okay, I don't really want to not think about death, but I feel like the whole world doesn't think about this. So if I'm the only one who's not doing, you know, like, Maybe the maybe I'm not the right one. <laughs> maybe the world knows something and I shouldn't be thinking this or doing this, you know? And so I had to just kind of jump out in, and say, okay, I'm willing to let go of this weird obsessive thought. Because <laughs> um, it, it had to be my choice to get rid of that dark side. And of course, during all of that, you know, I'm not a very good scientist. I change like 10 things instead of changing one thing at a time. You know, like I don't have a constant. So I had to make that choice. But I also was going to prayer groups, going to healing and deliverance, you know, really praying and learning about good and evil. The, the Renewal Center taught me that, yes, you are talking to bad, evil spirits and stop doing that. <laughs> and I'm like, but I like them. They're my friends. I'm like, no. And so um, I even had ECTs. I had uh, 12 sets of ECTs where they shock your brain to try to get your brain to stop being so depressed because I was chronically depressed. But outwardly, doing everything I needed to do, pretending everything's fine, but in my brain, just dark all the time. And so, um, and a lot of it was shame and guilt and that I'm not perfect. You know, that's why faith is so important and Jesus is so important. Like we don't have to cling to our shame. Yeah, we messed up. We're not perfect. It's okay. <laughs> and realizing that helped me get out of my depression, but also, um, the ECTs didn't even work. <laughs> so most people say that works. But after the ECTs, I had a year where I felt nothing because I used to cry every single day. And then after the ECTs, I couldn't cry. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. It was like a year of numbness where I had no feelings whatsoever. So I was, and I would just work the plan, you know, get up, go to work, do what I needed to do without feeling anything. And then the pivotal point in my life, I feel like, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of little things. There was my, my devotion to Mary. I did a consecration um, to Jesus through Mary and got involved in this Magnificat group. So I was praying through Mary to Jesus 
And then I was doing healing and deliverance prayer and I was going to, I was filling myself with a lot of good, 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 good. But the pivotal point was when Damien Stain came to St. Louis for a conference. And uh, I know a lot of people probably watch those things on TV where they have like Benny Hine and people like these healing services. And so Damien Stain came and I didn't even really want to go, but there was this little sister Charlotte who needed a ride. And so I was like, I guess I'll drive her. And then he was so arrogant and like I thought filled with himself. And he's like, Jesus is alive. Jesus is going to heal you. There's the devil. There's good things. Like he was doing this whole thing and he was like this performer up there. But he was saying the right things. He kept pointing to Jesus. And I'm like, well, he is saying it's Jesus. He is saying it's Jesus. But he sure is arrogant. And I didn't really like him. But a lot of what he said was so much truth. And so the whole like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was like warring with like this guy and what he was saying. And we had these prophecy workshops. So we were practicing like being a giving a prophetic word to who was next to us. And I got these prophetic words that were super beautiful and to this day have come true. (laughs) And then it was the Sunday of this experience where I almost didn't even stay. It was, it was like the last day. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. And I wasn't, I was even going to go home early because I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't know about this, all this stuff. We had this whole healing service on Saturday. All these people had healings, you know, and, like legit healings. I knew these people were in a wheelchair and now they weren't, you know, and I was, and I was even on the team to write down their story to say, okay, you couldn't see and now you can see. And so I was like documenting all these miracles. But in my head, I was in not like the best place. Like I was still empty inside and I was trying, you know, like I was there. But on Sunday, um, he was talking about the spiritual realm. Like he said, he had this image, and I'm a real image, spatial, kinesthetic type of person. And he had this picture of, of like a circle. And like, so we're like in the middle, and there's these different circles around us. And so like, there's these evil spirits that are around us. Then there's these evil spirits that are kind of they are on top of us or like on our skin or whatever. And then there's some evil spirits that are really deep, like the wound is so deep. We have to kind of get rid of the, all the evil around us, all the evil that's on us. And then we can get to the root of what that evil thing is inside of us to get that out, to be delivered of that. And so he was explaining all of these spiritual, like the evils. And I was like, I could totally see that. I could see evil around. I could see sometimes evil on someone. And I knew there was evil in the root of like an addiction or something. There's an evil root in there. And for me, since I was five years old, I had let suicide in deep, deep into my heart. And I had this relationship with suicide. And he he just prayed like he was very demonic. He, he prayed with authority because Anyone can. He wasn't a priest, but anyone who's baptized, anyone who's given themselves to Jesus has the authority of Jesus in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So if you speak with authority and you say, I um, command that spirit of suicide out of that person, the name of Jesus, always in the name of Jesus. And when he said that, he like he named that spirit of suicide that was deep inside my, my core and I guess I was open enough to receive. I did have my hands open. I was like, okay, if you want. And when he talked, I could see what he was saying. And I knew I had something deep in me. And when he said, spirit of suicide, be gone. I just fell on the floor for like 20 minutes, just 
so peaceful. And I felt it leave. I literally felt the evil spirit of suicide leave. And then they were talking about how you have to claim your healing, claim your healing. And so I claimed at that moment that I was never going to think about suicide again. And this is a thought that I thought about 10 times a day. I mean, like, this is something that was very much in me. And so the next morning, I didn't think about suicide. And every time it still wanted to come in a little bit, I would claim my healing and I would praise God. And I would say, no, I'm not thinking about suicide. You know, I'm not even going to say the word in my brain. I'm not even going to think about it. You know, I am claiming that that was not of God and that it is out of me. And so I was completely healed of those suicidal thoughts. It was like a complete miracle for me. And it opened up my, my life to like be able to think of other things, to, to have joy again, to realize life's not so bad. Like I always thought life was horrible, but, and it, it is, life is hard. It's one struggle after another, but it's okay. Cause we have eternal life. Like when it's time and maybe God has a reason for us to be here, you know, maybe, Maybe I'm supposed to embrace the God in front of me, you know, and I, I love thinking about how, you know, Jesus does come. We have these incarnational moments where Jesus comes into a conversation. I'm talking to one person and I could almost see that heaven kind of met earth for that second. And it's like, I'm wanting to go to heaven, but heaven comes to us if we look for it. We can lift the veil of the corner of heaven. And there's times where that synchronicity, where all of a sudden you're talking to someone with something that was burning in your heart that morning, and it was burning in their heart, and you're both like burning with this beautiful like scripture or song or idea about peace or something, and you're like, whoa, that was God. And so I started to see heaven everywhere. Like I was so focused on suicide that I couldn't see the heaven that surrounded me. And so, you know, it was just... It's been beautiful to really journey in my faith and to not have that chain of suicide around my neck. And so I believe um, so powerfully that anyone can have that. I mean, like, who was I to get a healing like that? And so um, I pray with people all the time. And I, I totally believe that other people, so many times people want healings from like physical things. But I work with a lot of young adults and almost all of us have a mental something that chain in our brain that needs to be released. And so I really believe people can ask and receive healing from that addictive thought or that something that's just that meant people call it like a mental illness. Like, yeah, they said I was bipolar, but I'm not bipolar now. Like I'm fine. Like, was it, you know, a mental illness or was it spiritual? Both. Um, But we can have freedom from those, mental things in our brains we really can and i just i really want to i always advocate that to people you don't have to be chained in your brain (laughs) you know um you mentioned your um upbringing that it was kind of sheltered and then you were exposed to a lot of worldliness you know is there a way you would have liked your upbringing to be different um, that would have maybe um, given you more, um, prepared you better for when you encountered all of that stuff? Yeah, I definitely was. Um, I didn't have forgiveness. You know, they always say before you can be healed of anything, you have to forgive. 
So I had to forgive my parents. <laughs> I had to forgive the world. I had to forgive the people who hurt me. Because you can't have that experience of healing until you aren't clinging to unforgiveness. So um, I definitely, in fact, even today, I have a lot of friends who are very conservative Catholic, um, people who don't want their kids to be exposed to things, which is great. Of course it's great. But you can't, like blind them to what's going to be happening. You have to be straight with people, <laughs> especially, you know, 18 year olds. You're, you have to tell them that your hormones are a mess. God created you to have a baby right now. So your hormones are going to want a baby. Like tell them straight up, tell them, okay, guys are going to be thinking of this. Like, don't even go in their room. Don't even play with that. But realistically, we're all going to have to mess up. <laughs> we, you know, no one's, you can't protect your kids. Like they're going to mess up. And so, yeah, I wish my mom had told me something. I wish, and looking back, I think people did tell me. I know some of my roommates were like, you know, that guy's having sex with everyone on the floor. What are you doing? And you're like, well, he's going to church with me. You know, like you kids are stupid. 18 year olds are really stupid. Sorry, 18 year olds that are listening. <laughs> but like, I mean, our brains aren't developed and we have to explore. We have to look. We have to question our faith. So, yeah, maybe my parents could have done something, and I wished I, I could have known some things. But then something else would have happened. Like, you know, there's always going to be something that's going to hurt us, that, something that we don't know about. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't really look past. I could look back. But I do, I do think colleges, it's one of the things I pray for the most, is how much um, sexual trauma is in college universities. Because... You know, they have all these statistics about people getting raped because of all the alcohol and um, drugs and, and hormones. I mean, it's like the worst possible thing in the world to put 18 to 21 year olds together with freedom and alcohol and this and that and, and expect nothing bad to happen. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's going to be hard and you're going to mess up. And it's funny because um, I've actually talked to a lot of like 22 year olds, like right after college, when you get out of college and you think, look at all the stuff I just did. Oh my gosh. Now I kind of, you kind of have like this uh, split in the road. Are you going to go back to your faith? Or are you going to go way off like you were in college? <laughs> so you have this decision. And I've helped a lot of people who are in that decision making, thinking God's not going to take me back because of all the things I just did. And I say, that's why we have Jesus. <laughs> he took our shame. He took our guilt. Yes, you messed up a lot in college, but it's not too late to change. And I look at these young kids. I did a lot of um, ministry with young adults. And I say, come back. <laughs> it's okay. You can let all of that go and start again. Because we had to do that. We had to stretch the boundaries, I guess. I guess that's part of life is to mess up royally. <laughs> Everyone's done it. And realize you're not alone. And there's nothing you can really do to prevent people from doing the wrong things. It's just, you just have to learn the hard way. And most of us have to learn the hard way. Everyone does. <laughs> well, it's been really good to talk with you, Angela. Um, do you want to tell a little bit about your website or um, Vision of Peace or just anything that you want um, yeah. you know, listeners to know about you or how to contact you or anything? Well, um, I do work here at Vision of Peace Hermitages in Peabody, Missouri, and we have a website. It's vophermitages.org. You can just Google the Vision of Peace Hermitages. We're the first ones that pop up. 
So people can come. Um, anybody can come. You just, um, there's a button that says request a reservation. Um, you can also just email me um, if you wanted to have an hour of spiritual direction and talk about whatever's on your heart or um, if you're going through something. Um, we also have Father Grisadik that's here a lot of times, um, and he is a great prayer. Um, a lot of times we also have a Monday evening prayer group here. And the people, there's like maybe five to seven of us that come on Monday nights. And we do a lot of prayer teams, prayer ministry. So people who are taking a retreat, like on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday or something, they can come to our prayer group and we can pray for them for healing or, um, you know, whatever kind of prayers they want. It's a, a beautiful prayer ministry here that we offer anyone who comes Mondays. Um, and we have some a lot of charismatic gifts of um you know father grisadic um it's amazing when he prays for people um what we call it here in the charismatic circles is um a new baptism of the holy spirit so here at vision of peace if you're looking for more of the holy spirit if you're looking for the holy spirit to be stirred up uh you can come here and you know ask for those gifts of wisdom and um knowledge and awe of God, you know, those different Isaiah gifts, um, and get prayer with the people here. So again, you know, vision of peace hermitages, you can look at our website, we have a video that shows you the grounds, we have all the hermitages listed, you can look through the hermitages. Um, and like our mission statement is basically be still and know that I'm God. And um, our mission statement is, you know, it's we're a place for people to have solid solitude with God to encounter the triune God. So if that's what you're looking for, if you want to have just the silence of just you and God, um, I always tell people, put your phone on airplane mode. Um, just embrace the silence of you and God, not all the other stuff. And just find your center again, find who you are again, that you're a beloved child of God. And that's why people come here, I think, to get grounded again, find that peace again, and, and then they can go back out in the world. So anybody can come, just make a reservation and I'll get you a hermitage. righty. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.